Welcome back to the Red Dice Stories. I'm your host, John, and in this second episode, looking at the three knock zines that have been published so far, we're going to be taking a look, unsurprisingly, at issue two and seeing what this collection of old school gaming bric a brac has to offer, whilst highlighting some of my favourite articles from issue two. So we're going to get straight to that after the music. So in case you've not listened to our previous episode about the Knock zine, it's a zine that as of the time of recording this has three issues released. All of them were put on Kickstarter initially and are now available from DriveThru and the Merry Mushrooms website. Links in the description of this episode. I almost hesitate to call this a zine because it's such a large publication. It has almost 230 pages in issue two and it's a collection of gaming bric-a-brac and curated content from the osr blogosphere although i believe as of issue two they actually started getting some submissions in specifically for knock itself well that's certainly the impression i get having read the second issue but let's have a look through at some of my favorite articles i'm not going to look at all of the articles because there is so much stuff in here as with the first issue, the dust cover of the magazine has itself some interesting content on it. In this case, it's a micro setting for OD&D written by Gaber Lux and it's gloomy wood, a little tiny sort of hex scroll mini setting which has a map, random encounters, location descriptions and all of that's contained on the dust jacket. We also get a little bookmark as per previous this one has six NPCs or adventurers written on it with their stats, etc. And you also get little stand-up figures that you can use for them. We start off with the normal gaming-related articles. The first one being The Master's Words of Wisdom by Arnold K. And this is compiled from his blog and offers advice for players and games masters of old school games and a lot of this you will have seen in other places where it talks about you know maintaining a sense of fairness as a gm allowing failure not fudging dice rolls maintaining a sense of impact and lethality in games there's also some nice advice for players you know thinking in terms of the dungeon level learning everything you can and being as clever as you can like i said most of this advice won't be anything new to people who've been reading osr blogs and running osr games for a long time but it is nice to have it just written down in this short article as a little bit of a sort of reminder and it's all nicely sort of bullet pointed and titled off we then have an article called cheap tricks where the author chris mcdowell is saying that there's some great stuff that you can do that's been detailed for various sort of gm involved tactics whereas here he's saying here's a few just quick and cheeky little things that you can do to get your game going and to make people feel good about the game the first one is amplify the player's competence you know really talk up with the players show how their planning paid off shine a spotlight on past good deeds there's cheap tricks for what you can do if pieces fail cheap humor tricks cheap horror tricks 
and I think that's a really cool article and it's really great to have in there. We have a knight errant generator where it's just a series of random tables to create a knight where you get to determine their heraldry, what it has on it, etc. Their fighting style, their name, quirks, quests, etc. And if you need a lot of knights in your game, that's a pretty useful thing. The next article I want to spotlight is one called Sorcerer Corpse Hazards. And this is the idea that, you know, a magic user has such sort of lofty arcane energies in them that even in death, their body is not necessarily uneventful. And this is something that we've seen in numerous horror and supernatural books. And there's a few different suggestions for how a sorcerer's corpse could pose a hazard, which I think is pretty interesting and useful. We've got an article by Graphite Prime on strange things happen when you sleep in dungeons, which talks about the off-neglected uh, hazards that can be faced when you're trying to rest as a party of heroes in dungeons. And it gives some random tables on what might disrupt their sleep or cause them problems. We have an article by Josh McCrowell talking about running out of light in a dungeon crawl and how you can portray the sense of hopelessness and danger that would come with that. We then got an article talking about the anatomy of a dungeon map by Gaber Lux again, featuring maps by Dyson Logos and talking about the whole idea of like JKing the dungeon and how you can make sure that the, the layout of a dungeon is sufficiently interesting, which is a pretty cool thing and very essential for a dungeon master to know. And he talks about things like dungeon highways, branching choices, accelerators, and stuff like that. We then have a sort of semi-follow-up article to the Level Drain article in Knock One, which talks about how you could potentially, instead of using Level Drain, just to give Undead some other form of interesting power. And there is a list of 30 such powers provided, which involve things like Dimension Doors, Withering Touches, being able to conjure darkness, having like a Banshee-like whale and stuff like that that you could use to make your undead a little bit more interesting without falling back on level drain. We've got some cool random thing articles. So we've got D60 pointless items, which looks a bit like a dice drop table, but I don't think it actually is. I just think it's the way it's laid out. And it's just random things that you can roll for. I suppose trinkets to use the, the modern D&D parlance. Next article I'd like to briefly have a look at is probably one of my favourites from this issue by Lord Simon Black, Scribe of the Pile of Bones. And it's the Grey Shaded Hex, an alternative to the alignment system. And essentially, it's almost like one of those sort of a... One of those sort of self-marking tests, you know, those are psychology tests you might do when you're at work or something like that, where basically you go through and you tick off which of the options you think applies to your character. And in this case, that gives you like a three-letter code, and you can then look at the three-letter code to determine, according to this system, what sort of alignment you have. So... The way this works is when rolling a new character, you consider whether this person's empathetic or are they callous? Are they selfless or are they self-entitled? Finally, are they protective, a defender of the weak, or are they manipulative? And you choose which one of those you want. 
if you're empathetic, protective, or selfless, you write down a B for each of those. If you're callous, manipulative, or self-entitled, you write down a D for each of those. So you'll have a three-letter combination, which is some combination of Bs and Ds. And we get like all Bs, the saint, an everyday hero, someone who is loved by all, down to triple D, the gutter thief, an antisocial, cruel, and greedy person. And there's a number of different combinations of various letters in between them. And I think that's an interesting potential alternative to alignment since it gives you a little bit more choice and it's clear what you're sort of going for i'm not sure if i'd use it in all games but it's definitely an interesting alternative the magazine has an article called in praise of vanilla fantasy by jack shear and he's saying that basically in some circles vanilla fantasy gets a bad rap it's labeled as boring predictable etc etc or lazy and he's often been told that his games of dnd aren't weird enough now I can sort of see where he's coming from with this because he's saying that, well, yeah, you know, there's a place for weird fantasy in D&D, but also there's a good reason we have vanilla fantasy games. And just to quickly list the titles, he says, Vanilla Fantasy is the lingua franca of fantasy RPGs. It's the baseline that we all understand. It's infinitely translatable into other types of games. You don't have to really reduce much. It's just vanilla so you can easily add other flavours to it to keep that analogy going. He makes a good point that I've made several times myself that when everything's weird, nothing is weird. If something's weird, it's because it seems removed from what the standard baseline is. Whereas if your baseline is all over the place, things aren't going to seem weird by comparison. After all, if you live in an ostensibly sort of like normal faux medieval world, you come outside and there's a two-headed dragon out there, that seems weird. Whereas if you live in a land where like the, the forces of gravity change regularly, cows float by in the sky, grass is made of fire, then seeing a, a dragon doesn't really seem like the weirdest thing of your day. He makes the point that vanilla might be what people want. And yeah, I love a bit of vanilla fantasy from now on again. And also, as he says, when he's talking about published settings, people do vanilla settings so that we don't have to. We can just grab one of the ready-made ones. We don't really have to think a lot about it. And obviously he goes into a little bit more detail than I have there, but I think it's a really interesting article and presents an alternative to the normal sort of the weirder the better view that seems to sort of be the sort of de facto view of many people involved in OSR. And if you like weird games, that's absolutely fine, but I think there's also a place for more vanilla fantasy. We have an article called Five Tips for Horror in D&D by Stuart Robinson. They're all pretty useful. Then we go on to some random tables, such as small tables of gonzo body horror, uh, stuff like that. We have an interesting article called D6 Hex Crawling, which is a precise procedure developed for hex crawling by Sandor Gabay, who... Thanks, Gavin Norman, in the introduction, whose blog posts really inspired them. And it does seem fairly similar to the sort of OSE hex crawl rules, albeit sort of simplified a bit. But it's interesting to see another person's viewpoint on that. We then have some more random articles before we get into a series of maps that are made available for you just to drop into your own games then finally we move on to some monsters that are provided covering things such as the flatterer a small bird of prey there's a petulant fairy that flatters people hence causing their downfall we have the pie wawa 
which is this strange sort of winged skull-like creature that has the top of its head resembling a pineapple. Blade Wardens, Cafetier Assassins, Dream Crawlers, Demons of various type and description. And then we move on to some BX-style classes. And the first of them listed in here, the Errant Friar, is by far my favourite. It models that sort of Friar Tuck esque character you see in robin hood you know you wield a staff you have basic abilities at healing you can do some sort of minor miracles although in this case they're not represented by spells they are discrete powers but you do have limits on what sort of arcane magic you can use and you have to maintain a vow of poverty but you also have, like I said, this basic chance of knowing knowledge about certain topics. So at first level, you have a one in six chance of knowing about flora and fauna, one in six about politics and heraldry, one in six about philosophy and cosmology, one in six religions and demons, one in six legends and monsters, or two in six common knowledge. Characters with 13 or more intelligence add one to one of these domains, and every four levels, they add one to one of these chances. So you can gradually sort of tweak your areas of knowledge as you go up. And I think this is a really simple but effective way of doing a sort of slightly sage-like character, but also really sort of leaning into that sort of Friar Tuck style, which I really love, and doing a sort of healer character that isn't just an absolute rip-off of the cleric. We have the Bad Brownie. Again, not for me, it's a bit of a fake class, but you know, if you like that sort of thing, fair enough. We have the Grey, so your stereotypical like X-Files-style alien who's been stranded in the mortal world. We have the Platy Person. Again, not really for me. The out Nagrag, some sort of giant creature. The Beggar, so leaning into that pathetic aesthetic that they mentioned in Knock Issue 1. The Prophet of Ruin, which is a sort of apocalyptic warrior who can issue these prophecies of ruin as the world slowly slides into the bin. And then we have the Plague Doctor class by Ethan J. Lefeuve, which sounds pretty interesting and the the, the whole sort of double page spread of that is done in like a hand-drawn way. However, in my opinion, it does make it a little... Although it looks cool, it does make it a little difficult to read. And then finally, we round off with some random little mini-adventures and little ideas and maps for you to drop into your games. And I think, by and large, that Knock Issue 2 is, again, really well thought out and produced. I very much enjoyed reading to it. Like I say, I love the Errant Friar class. I think some of the articles in here are really, really cool. And I always find something interesting to read when I dip back into it. As I said previously, not every article is going to be for everyone. As you heard just then when I was talking through, there's a few of the ODD style classes that don't really appeal to me personally. But, you know, I don't begrudge them being in there. That's the, the joy and, I suppose, the sadness of it being a collection of gaming bric-a-brac. Not everything's going to work for me, but it also means something's going to work for other people. And I really enjoy it as this sort of random collection of things. So, if you're interested in getting hold of a copy of Knock, you can get a copy in PDF format from 
drive-through RPG. There'll be a link in the description of this episode. At the time of publishing, it's available for $19 US. It's also currently available in print and PDF from the Merry Mushman's website, and that's €30. So I'll put a link to that in the description as well. Again, if you're looking for this sort of hodgepodge of OSR articles, all of which are very interesting and give you an insight into other people's views of the OSR, and also an awful lot of gaming material that you can just drop in ready-made to your campaign, then I highly recommend you pick up a copy of this. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you've got anything you want to say about Knock Issue 2, or anything else to do with tabletop RPGs, maybe you'll be featured in a future episode, you can get in touch a few different ways. You can leave us a voicemail message using SpeakPipe or Anchor, link in the description down below, or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. So, until we see you again, take care, stay safe, whatever you're playing, have fun, and we'll be back again tomorrow where we talk about Knock Issue 3. Knock Issue 3